As we begin this morning, I'd like for you to imagine with me for just a moment that we are all at a wedding. And the wedding is here at Greensburg Baptist Church. We have all made our way up the front entrance. We have signed the register book. And now we have been approached by an usher who asks us a question. Are you a friend of the bride or the groom? And in that moment, you have got to make a decision because your answer will dictate where in the church that you are going to sit. Are you a friend of the bride or the groom? And as we begin this morning, I want to ask you specifically, are you a friend of the bridegroom? Are you a friend of the bridegroom? We're going to be in John chapter 3 this morning. We're going to be primarily concentrating on verses 22 through 30. But before we jump to verse 22, I want to give you just like a high-level overview of what's happened in the remainder, the beginning part of chapter 3. We are immediately introduced to a man named Nicodemus. And in the text, it tells us that Nicodemus is a Pharisee and he is a ruler of the Jews. That's very important. And this man comes to Jesus by night. And that's very significant. Many times when we read the biblical text, if we will just pay attention, there are all types of glimpses that we can look and see things about those people. This man was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews, and that is very significant. He comes to Jesus by night. I wonder why he would do that. Probably because he didn't want to be seen with Jesus by his Pharisee friends. I wonder... Do we ever have times in our life when we don't want to be seen with Jesus by our friends? Now, it's very, very tempting to answer that question. No, never. I would never be ashamed for anybody to see me with Jesus Christ. And I hope, I hope that is your honest answer. But what about when we're out in a restaurant and we've just been brought our food We know we should bless that food. But instead of doing that sometimes, do we listen to that voice that says, They're watching you. What are they going to think? What will they think if you bless your food? And in that moment, it becomes easier to listen to the voice of the enemy than to be thankful for what Jesus has given you. What about those times When somebody comes to you and their intent is to start gossip of some kind, and you know you should have no part of gossip, and you know you should say, stop right there, I will have no part of that. But instead of saying, that doesn't honor my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it becomes easier to stand there and listen at it, and sometimes even to engage in gossip than it is to say, I'll have no part of it. I believe there are times that we're just like Nicodemus. We want to come to Jesus by night. And then, remember I said that it was significant that he's a Pharisee and the ruler of the Jews. Pharisees were opponents, strict opponents of Jesus Christ. This man comes to Jesus. Yes, it was at night, but he comes to Jesus And he immediately addresses Jesus as rabbi. That is so significant because, keep in mind, Nicodemus would have had a very, very strong knowledge of Old Testament Scripture. 
his group doesn't really like Jesus anyway. So he comes to him and he addresses him as rabbi, which means teacher. In that moment, he is elevating Jesus to the position of teacher. And he himself is going down to the position of student. This man who has been an opponent of Jesus Christ. I wonder, are we willing to do that in our own lives? And then we see that Jesus doesn't waste any time when he engages him in the conversation. But I think it can be very, very significant to us. It can be a strong encouragement to us because, you know, many times our eyes do not see what God is doing behind the scenes. I would be willing to say that during the earthly ministry of Jesus, when he was dealing with the Pharisees, most of the time his earthly eyes did not see immediate results that he was getting through to any of those people. But yet this, not only a Pharisee, but a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews, comes to him and addresses him as a teacher. So I want, I want, I want to use that as an encouragement to you. You should seek the Lord in all things. You should seek His strength and you should seek His presence continually. Once you've done that, press on. Be obedient to what Jesus has called you to do, whether or not your eyes ever see any physical sign of that or not. Never forget that many times Jesus will be working behind the scenes. And then we see that Jesus wastes absolutely no time with Nicodemus. He gets right to the point. He does not skate all around the issue. You know, so many times in our personal lives, when Jesus does drop somebody right in front of us, we talk to them about everything except a spiritual conversation. We will say, what about the weather? How's your family doing? We talk about everything except the most important thing. Are we concerned about the weather? Are we concerned about where these people are going to spend eternity? We've got to be serious about our walk with Jesus Christ. Jesus gets right to the point. He tells them, unless a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of God. That confuses Nicodemus. Would it confuse you? After all, Nicodemus knows he's already been born. So when he tells them you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of God, he immediately thinks that he's talking about a physical birth. And then we see that Nicodemus, he questions Jesus. He says, how can these things be? I want to ask you this morning, is it a horrible thing to question Jesus? Absolutely correct. Now, I think we've got to do it the right way. We've got to question Jesus the right way. But there are people today that will tell you it's a horrible thing to question Jesus. I don't believe that. I think if we ask Jesus a question the right way, it can be a part of the process of seeking Him. When we were growing up, most likely there were times your parents asked you to do something and you didn't understand. And you ask a question. You know, if you ask that question in the right way, it was an opportunity for you to go close, grow closer to your parents, to understand what they were talking about, and to become more mature in your walk. Guess what? It can work the exact same way with Jesus. The exact same way with Jesus. Now, as we jump into our text this morning, beginning in verse 22... 
We're going to see that Jesus and his disciples, they have gone into the Judean countryside. And Jesus remained there with them while they were baptizing. Now, John the Baptist was also baptizing at a place called Anon because water was plentiful there. Water was plentiful there and people were coming and people were being baptized. Now, I want to just throw an image on the screen to you right now. And I know you're not going to be able to see a lot of this, but Anon, where John the Baptist and his disciples were, is generally in this area. And we've seen from the text that Jesus and his disciples are somewhere here in the Judean countryside. There could have been a few miles in between where these two places were. But I want to be sure that one of the things you don't miss in the text was that these men... They were willing to go to where the water was. They were willing to go to where the water was. I wonder this morning, are you willing to go to where the water is? Are you willing to go to Jesus Christ who can provide that living water? Now keep in mind, what good would it have done if both of these groups of men were set up where the water is, And they had nobody to baptize. It wouldn't have done any good, right? People were willing to come and be baptized. Guess what? It probably wasn't convenient. Probably wasn't convenient at all. Guess what? It probably was not comfortable. Not at all. But yet they were willing to lay that aside and go and be baptized. Now, I want to tell you this morning, church, I have got to the place in my walk with Jesus and as a pastor where I've I've basically determined that the words comfort and convenience, they can be equally as bad as any four-letter curse word that you could ever think of saying. Because you know what? Comfort and convenience, they lead to complacency. They lead to complacency. And that is a horrible, horrible thing. You know, we basically train people over the last 20 or 25 years, churches all across the United States, we have trained people to come to church if it's convenient. It's okay. Just come if it's convenient. And that's what we see a lot of times. People come only if it's convenient. And then we wonder why our nation has experienced such moral decline. We wonder. You know, when I was a child, we had revivals that lasted two weeks or more. Guess what? It wasn't comfortable. It was usually in the dead of summer, and this was before air conditioning. It wasn't comfortable. Guess what? It was not convenient. It was normally in the middle of getting in some type of crop. Guess what? The farmers stopped and went anyway. They went. It was not convenient. And guess what? Typically, every night, people would be saved. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't convenient. But they made the effort to get there. I just want to ask a question this morning. When's the last time we've seen anybody saved in one of our services here? Can you remember the last time that it was? Can we remember the last time it was? Are we truly burdened for the lost? 
Are we burdened for the lost? Are we praying for them? Do you realize the person that is sitting beside you in the pew this morning, they may look exactly like a Christian, but they may be as lost as they can be and on their way to hell. Have you asked them? Have you asked them? Do you know where you're going to spend your eternity? We've got to ask questions. We have got to ask questions because at the end of the day, I'm going to say this and I'm going to move on. Most people, whether we're talking about coming to church or whether we're talking about anything else, most people are found doing those things that are priorities to them. I wonder this morning, is Jesus a priority in your life or is he just a convenience? It's one or the other. Is he a priority or is he a convenience? And then we see back in our text, these men are baptizing in two different places and people are coming to be baptized. You know, we always say here when we baptize somebody at Greensburg Baptist Church that it's a celebration. So we've got all this baptizing going on in these two different places. What could possibly go wrong? How could there possibly be any problem that could occur in that? Guess what? Anytime Jesus is moving in a body of believers, you better believe Satan is working overtime. He is working overtime. And that's exactly what we're going to see. There is going to be some conflict introduced here. They are go- we're going to see it. And usually what happens is it's over something that is not significant at all. It's over something usually that is very small. Sometimes it's even senseless. But, but Satan can use that to create horrible conflict. So if he can use something that is small, insignificant, and senseless to create major conflict, just imagine what he can do with something that's substantial to start with. Just imagine that, folks. We have got to walk the walk 24-7. We cannot just talk the talk. And then in verse 25, we see this discussion arose. A discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Now, I want you to know this morning, the way this word is used, discussion, it's just a really nice way of saying they're getting ready to have a good old-fashioned argument. It's way more than a discussion here. And it's over purification. Can you imagine... Can you imagine that that would be the case? Guess what? That's not the case at all. We're going to see in just a minute that that really has nothing to do with what the situation really is. And then we see verse 24, and it almost seems like verse 24 is out of place. And I have intentionally listed it out of order this morning just to draw some emphasis to it. For John had not yet been put in prison. We're talking about John the Baptist here. Does it not seem like John the Apostle, the author of this book, could have said more about the events leading to the imprisonment of John the Baptist and his subsequent death than this one tiny little sentence? For John had not yet been put in prison. You know, he could have. You can, read, you can read more details in some of the other Gospels. But I want you to know 
that John the Apostle is being true to his purpose of writing this book. Now, when you read the book of John, you don't have to guess what his purpose of writing the book is. Because he lays it out for us in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. I want us to look specifically at verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So now if John the Apostle had written any more than this one sentence about the imprisonment of John the Baptist, would it have done anything to support his purpose? Not one thing. Not one thing. And I wonder, in our individual walks, in our personal walks with Jesus, do our actions support what we say our purpose is? Because guess what? People, people are looking. Now back to the argument at hand. You know, they said it was ceremonial purification. Now remember, we are talking about John the Baptist here. When we think about, I don't know what you think about when you think about John the Baptist, but what I picture when I think about John the Baptist is somebody really bold, somebody looks very wild, somebody that is a bold witness for Jesus Christ. I really doubt that if he's having to choose between baptizing people and arguing about ceremonial purification, I'm pretty sure I know which one he's going to choose. Ceremonial purification was not the issue at all. It was not the issue at all. Again, John stayed true to his purpose, John the Baptist. Verse 26, And they came to John, they being his disciples, and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, Look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Now we start to see the real problem here. The real problem has nothing at all to do with purification. The real problem is jealousy. John's disciples believe that everybody's going to Jesus to be baptized. And then that's not even the case, because if we look forward to um, chapter 4, It's plainly documented Jesus did not baptize. Jesus did not baptize. Would we ever see a situation today where the situation that's represented is not like the situation is at all? We see it all the time. You see it in your jobs. You see it everywhere. You see that. Again, we have got to be true to what Jesus has called us to do. We've got to do that. But even, you know, if Jesus had been baptizing, can you imagine who on earth could have been ever more qualified to baptize somebody than Jesus Christ himself? And they were trying to make an issue with that, although he was not even baptizing. I want to talk just a minute about the type of baptizing that we're seeing happen in this text this morning. You know, if you come to um, a baptizing here at Greensburg Baptist Church, whether or not Brother Blake does the baptism or whether I do the baptism, we always try to be very careful to explain what it's symbolic of. And if you've ever seen a uh, a baptism service here, you know what I'm talking about. We are very careful to explain that when that person goes under the water, it's symbolic of Jesus' death, right? 
And it's also signifying that as you go under that water, you are dying to your old way of life. And as you are raised up out of that water, it's symbolic of Jesus' resurrection because he rose from the dead. And we always say you've been risen to live a new life in Jesus Christ. And then you'll, you'll notice that right before we baptize somebody, for instance, if it's a man, we'll say, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, now I want to remind you that where we are in the text this morning, Jesus has not died. He is still very much with them. It is before his death, it's before his burial, it's before his resurrection. So we see things are a little bit different. Anybody remember when the Holy Spirit first came? Pentecost, right? The book of Acts, we're not there yet. We are not there yet. So these baptisms that were occurring in this text, they're different than the baptizings that we see today. Most likely it was some type of baptism of repentance, still very important, but a different type of baptism altogether. Again, back to the issue here. It was jealousy. Absolute jealousy. And I want us to see a picture of who John the Baptist really is. And although I believe this was a rugged-looking man, I believe we start to see that he has a quality of humility. My finger's not wanting to write on the screen this morning. We start to see that John the Baptist is humble. John answers, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. And how he answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. Do we realize that this morning? Do we really realize that? Folks, it doesn't matter what kind of job you have. It doesn't matter how wonderful your salary might be. If you're in one of those positions, it's because God has blessed you. He has shown you favor. And if you don't honor Him in your career, He can just as quickly take you out of it as He puts you in it. But we see that that's how John the Baptist answered. All good things, they are coming directly from heaven. And then He's telling His disciples here, You've heard me. You've heard me tell you this. I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before Him. And then he says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, when we're talking about the bride here, we're talking directly about the church of Jesus Christ. And when we're talking about the bridegroom... I want to be sure we understand we are talking about Jesus Christ. So remember in the, at the very beginning I told you to hold a thought. Are you a friend of the bridegroom? I want to ask you that again this morning, right now. Are you a friend of the bridegroom? Would he say the same about you? Because I'm going to tell you one day, and it could be soon, it could be t- a today, you're going to stand before Jesus 
And you're going to hear one of two things from him. He's either going to say, welcome to heaven, my child. Or he's going to say, depart from me, for I have never known you. It will be one of those two things. It will be nothing in between those two things. And at that point, it is too late to beg for mercy. What will it be for you? Do you know for certain where you're going to spend your eternity? Do you? If you don't know that this morning, please don't leave this place without being sure. And then the verse that I want to close with is verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. And I want you to know this morning that is so contrary to what society will tell you. Society will tell you it's, it's about you, you, you. It's about me, me, me. Whatever you need to do to get ahead, do it. That's what society not only tells you, it's what it screams at you. And if that's the way you choose to live your life, verse 30 will not be on display in your life. Because guess what? If you're increasing, guess what Jesus is doing? Decreasing. What's it look like in your life? Do you want Him? Do you want Jesus to increase? Maybe we want it to look like this. Equal with Jesus. Guess what? That doesn't glorify Him at all. Not at all. He's not happy with that. Jesus wants to increase in your life. Do we want Him to? Will we let Him? He is not going to force Himself on any of us. Again, as we prepare to close this morning, I want to ask you, are you a friend of the bridegroom? Do you know where you will spend your eternity? Is Jesus a priority, a true priority in our lives? Or is He just a convenience? Maybe the Lord has placed somebody on your heart this morning that's lost. Maybe during invitation you just need to come and pray for that person. Will we be burdened for others? Do we want to see people saved? Or are we happy seeing a full church with nobody being saved? I pray that's not the answer. I pray that's not the answer. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been considering moving your membership to Greensburg Baptist Church. Let us know about that. We would love to talk to you about that. We would absolutely love to talk to you about that. Maybe there's others. But you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. If that's the case, I want you to know Jesus is here. And I would love to introduce you to Him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank You so much for the day that You've given us. Thank You for being our Lord. Thank You for being our Savior. Lord, I pray, I pray right now as we move into this time of invitation. God, I pray that you will simply take control. Lord, I pray that we will see people saved here this morning. Lord, I pray that we will see people just come and pray for people they are burdened for. God, I pray most of all that you will have your way in this place, not only today, but for every day that we're here. Lord, I pray that we will never take for granted the opportunities that you give us to be your hands and feet. And God, I pray that we will make the commitment that we are truly going to honor you with our lives, that we are going to allow you to increase while we decrease. Father, again, thank you for being with us today. And what I pray that you will move in a mighty way. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.